Welcome to the Hat Soil Health Podcast, a production of Hoosier Ag Today and made possible by the Indiana Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative, a program of the Indiana Conservation Partnership. Once a month, we'll spotlight the many efforts around Indiana by CCSI and its many partners to improve soil health on Indiana cropland. Here's the host of the Hat Soil Health Podcast, Eric Pfeiffer. Thanks for downloading and thanks for listening to the Hat Soil Health Podcast for September. And this month's topic, the role that cover crops can play in the management of fall emerged weeds. And I've got a couple of folks here to talk about it with us today. Uh, First, our farmer is Mike Brocksmith. He's a Knox County farmer and is the associate supervisor for the Knox County Soil and Water Conservation District. And I also have Betsy Bauer here with Series Solutions. So let's start with you, Mike. Tell us a little bit about what's going on on your farm. I know that you have numerous field days and discussion groups that head out there to your farm since you were one of the earliest adopters of no-till in Knox County. Yes, we have a a no-till corn and soybean operation in southern Knox County. We've no-tilled some ground since 1977 and been continuous no-till since 1990 and have worked with cover crops on and off for several years and about the last seven or eight years we've been 100 percent cover crops on our farm and we have tried to be conservation farmers and promote conservation therefore we've worked with ccsi and had uh, several field days and roundtables at our farm and we're really glad to do it again betsy bauer here with series solutions and betsy you've been a standard bearer for soil health systems in indiana and you've uh, incorporated soil health farming support as part of Series Solutions' business model. Talk a little bit about what your primary roles are with Series Solutions and how long you've been in the industry. So I have been in the industry nearly 25 years um, in various capacities from a, a crop specialist to becoming an agronomist. So within the first uh, five or six years of, of my career with the, with a, a growers cooperative and now series solutions cooperative as well. And um, as we've worked with conservation systems, I was really lucky to work with a lot of customers early on in my career in the Vigo County area, Vigo, Clay, Sullivan County areas. And a lot of those producers were adopting, were adopting conservation cropping practices at the, at the beginning of my career. So that's just sort of been some of the things that I've worked with, helping uh, those farmers be successful or more successful with conservation ag- agronomy systems throughout the years. Um, uh, we've been able to improve tools over the years and understand a little bit more about nutrient management as well as pest management. And so, um, you know, working all those years on on various aspects of conservation agronomy have been have been very beneficial to understanding some of those systems. Now, as an agronomist with uh, Series Solutions Cooperative, I do um, work uh, with some irrigation management services where we use soil moisture probes as well as tissue analysis to do a better job with uh, in conservation and, and uh, systems as well as other systems. Um, I have been uh, responsible for developing our cover crops business, so to speak, or or some of those aspects within series solutions as we as we work with our customers as as conservation uh, conservation systems improved with with cover crops we wanted to figure that out along with our customers so um was sort of a a key and for us to understand if our customers are doing it we want to help them be successful and so we ought to be doing it too 
So sort of responsible for that and just the general understanding of corn, soybeans, wheat, um, nutrition and all of those crops as well as crop protection. Well, it's great to have you both on today's podcast. And let's talk a little bit about the role that cover crops can play in the management of fall emerged weeds. Some people may not realize that it can play a role in weeds. But first, let's talk a little bit, Betsy, about what weeds we're seeing here. We're right in the midst of harvest season. What have been the big weed problems we've had this year? And mare's tail would certainly be the first one that would come to mind and um, conservation cropping systems as well as regular cropping systems, um, too. It's just been a fairly problematic weed. And then our other one that I think we key in on, and Mike, you can add what's going on on um, your farm as well, will be some of our pigweed species, such as tall water hemp. Um, and and some of those more um, competitive weed species that it seems like we need to control, that we have issues controlling all season long. Those would be, too, of course, giant ragweed, cuckleburrs. Um, this season, um, a velvet leaf has been more of a problem than, than I remember other seasons, and we can see that from year to year. So those would be some of them. Mike, do you have any to add? No, I think you've hit the most important ones. In our no-till system, we've struggled a lot with mare's tail, and and I think we're coming to a solution with cover crops and the fall herbicide that we're doing much better with the mare's tail. And again, about the water hemp, it's a a serious problem. It can be, and and I think we've decided that the cover crops help in that regard because it keeps the ground shaded, and probably the, one of the best defenses against these weeds is a, a good crop canopy. So that's. That's just common sense, and that's what we're learning over time, and it's nothing new, but but it's kind of changing the way we think about how we try to do things. Again, you're listening to the Hat Soil Health Podcast, and I'm joined by Knox County farmer Mike Brocksmith. He's also the associate supervisor for the Knox County Soil and Water Conservation District, and also Betsy Bauer with Siri Solutions. She's an agronomist and Indiana Certified Crop Advisor. And Mike, let's talk about your farm. You mentioned that you are starting to gain a little bit of control over that mare's tail with, with some things that you're doing. Talk about your process. What What is it that you're doing uh, as far as fall herbicide applications and, and those types of things within your conservation cropping system that is that is helping control that? Our process in the last several years has been to plant a cover crop shortly after corn harvest we plant different ways we've aerial seeded drilled and broadcast and also incorporated with the phillips harrow that we try to follow closely behind combine with with cereal grain crops after our corn in that ground that will go into beans the next year and usually after harvest or late in the fall we come back with a low rate of dicamba and 2,4-D over those growing cover crops and spray Usually for us, it's around November at some point, and it's so the cover crops ideally would be two or three leaves of growth or more, and we make this spray pass, and it's been very beneficial on controlling the mare's tail. It appears the hardest mare's tail we deal with is the mare's tail that comes up in fall. It seems like it's very hard to control in the spring, and it's easy to control in the fall, so that's where we've headed with our fall herbicide application. Yeah, and that's true, Mike. I mean, we find the same thing for sure um, as well as that if we can control that mare's tail in the fall when it's young, when it's uh, um, very susceptible because it's young to some of those 
uh, crop protection products, we do so much better in the spring with overall spring uh, weed control um, because that, that spring mare's tail is just older. It's got a deeper root. It's uh, um, It can start to bolt fairly quickly. So the more that we can do in the fall regarding particularly mare's tail, the better overall we do in our um, uh, crop or in our in-crop uh, weed control program. Mike, you mentioned some dates there. With harvest coming a little bit earlier this year, does that change any of your plans? Um, not too much on the herbicide application. Ideally, we will get harvest wrapped up and regroup. Uh, we like to give the cover crops some time to get a little size on them. Uh, there's a small amount of risk of damage probably to the cover crops with our program, but it hasn't been an issue and, and it's really not a big concern because we're not planning on taking them to harvest for grain. Uh, so we like to get the, in our program, get all the weeds up that we can and, and get a little growth and then we spray. It seems like even though it might be November and cold, when we spray these, the, the dicamba and 2,4-D, they work very well on these winter broadleaves. Initially, you don't really think they're working, but as time goes on, the broadleaves just seem to kind of disappear. And uh, I think we've had a very good success rate. You know, spring and between November 1st and Thanksgiving, definitely want to be done before things start freezing up for logistics of the sprayer and such. But that's been our program. And Betsy, obviously Mike's down in southern Indiana. Does that time frame change throughout the rest of Indiana? Well, it's, it's sort of going to be lucky this season and that, you know, we all sort of, uh, as we had the coldest April followed by the warmest May, we actually have sort of a, a little different uh, uh, season this year that in, in, in this year's crop, everyone's harvesting at the same time. They could get cover crops started fairly quickly, somewhat more quicker than what we've had in years past. So I think this season in particular, everyone could get started with cover crops uh, earlier than normal. In a typical season, yes, there would be some differences from north to south, and typically we've got a little bit more time in the south because we remain a little bit warmer longer to get some of those cover crops established. Um, regarding cereal rye, though, um, it's it's a fairly, uh, and some of the other cereals, so cereal rye, triticale, um, cover crop wheat, we would have uh, quite a bit of time um, on uh, from north to south to get those planted now to get them up and growing into the two leaf stage may it, there, there may be some differences from north to south but it could be, it should be a good program with this the cereal uh, cover crops to still follow in the fall provided you get that two leaf growth with with a a dicamba 24d to help with that mare's tail control that's betsy bauer with series solutions indiana certified crop advisor And Mike Brocksmith is here. He's a Knox County farmer and associate supervisor for the Knox County Soil and Water Conservation District. Here on the Hat Soil Health Podcast, brought to you by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative. So, Mike, let's talk a little bit about planting green and what that means. Um, And it didn't seem like you really planned on doing that, but circumstances (laughs) dictated that a bit. Uh, Talk to me a little bit about that decision. We planted green corn and soybean crops both. We, at the present time, prefer to plant our corn crops into a cover crop that's been sprayed two or three weeks ahead of time and, and plant that brown. But our preferred method of planting beans at this time is to plant green. We've experimented with it for several years, and uh, I think 
two years ago decided to go 100% planting green, which means we plant into, in our case, it'd be a mixture of cereal rye and barley or straight cereal rye. And we plant green, that meaning that those crops have not been sprayed in the spring. They are green and growing. Uh, the height of those crops it depends on planting date. Uh, again, we're in southern Indiana, so if we get some warm days in March and April, the cereal rye can really take off. Uh, routinely, we start planting green in the rye that's maybe knee-high, and if we have an extended spring, we definitely planted into rye that was uh, six or seven feet tall. Uh, it's been, a, I think, a good program for us. It's What we liked about it is we know that we're adding the maximum amount of organic matter that we can to our soil with that cereal rye. Uh, the beans seem to uh, enjoy growing through cereal rye. Uh, it doesn't seem to bother them. We also feel it helps on weed control because of the, the mat of residue that protects the soil from the sunlight. Uh, I believe it helps on the emergence of weeds later. One of the big advantages of planting green that we like is that since we did make the fall application of herbicide, we can delay our first herbicide application in the spring to planting time, that herbicide application has both the burn down and the residual. So what it actually means is we're putting our first round of residual herbicide down later at planting time, and hopefully that will stretch until our first post-emergence pass of herbicide. We just like the soil health that we think we're getting from planting green into that rye. The next year when we come back and plant again, the following year after soybeans and into that residue, the soil has been very mellow. Uh, there's a lot of good things about it. There's also some uh, scary downside to it that it's it's a concern to be driving around in six or seven foot tall rye. Visibility is poor. We've had more problems with voles and slugs, we think. But uh, at this point, we still think it's the right thing to do. And we're ahead, ahead planting green. We continue to... Uh, try to adapt our planters and our spray system to make it work. Well, Mike, and some of the other things that we've noticed, the benefit of the cover crops, especially when we put those soil moisture probes in some of those strips of years, is that we can capture more water in the in the winter time. And, and um, while that cover crop can take up some of that uh, water in the upper profile where the roots are, we still have quite a bit of moisture then down below uh, with those cover crops that allow us to, you know the roots of our soybean uh, crops uh, to have access later on the season. So that's another advantage that we've noticed with cover crops is just being able to catch or capture more of that fall, early spring rainfall in that in that cover crop area, even versus just straight no-till sets. That would be another advantage that we found to to um, uh, in those those cover crop systems. Yes, and also probably the most obvious benefit of the cover crops and planting green that we haven't mentioned is that when we get those torrential rains in April and May, we definitely have less soil erosion. And uh, we're working on soil health on a lot of fronts, but on our farm, soil erosion is still probably the ultimate concern. And the cover crops might take time to build soil health, but they give an immediate benefit to reducing soil erosion. Oh, yes. The Hat Soil Health Podcast is brought to you by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative. Betsy Bauer with Series Solutions is here, as is Mike Brocksmith. He's a farmer in Knox County. And, Mike, let's talk a little bit about what's most important to farmers at this at this time especially, cost. Cost versus yield potential. 
where where you are with that as far as how much cost are you putting in and how much yield are you getting back, Mike? Well, it's very hard to measure those those numbers. We definitely are working with Betsy and the CCSI group on some long-term test plots to try and, and uh, verify the cost that we're spending and the benefit. But I think we all have to remember that that soil health is a is a long term process, and uh, we're planning on our our offspring farming this farm after we're done, and we want to make it better than it is. We are actually spending about five dollars an acre or less on the fall herbicide. It's a very low cost trip, and on our cover crop seed, we average around ten to ten fifty an acre on our two programs that we use for cover crop seed. We do not have a lot of cost involved. We also apply fertilizer often as we're seeding our cover crops. So uh, we're doing more than one thing on that trip, on that pass with the applicator. So the cost has been minimal. And we feel on the other end of it, we might be actually saving in crop season on cost because we routinely are only needing one post-emergence pass to control weeds on our, on our no-till ground into the cover crops. So I think it, at, in the short run, I'm thinking our cost is probably a wash and we're breaking even. And for the long term, uh, we're very comfortable investing 10 or $20 a year into cover crops to uh, try and improve our soil health for the future. And Mike, that's, that's what we find too, is that you know, that fall herbicide program can be that, that inexpensive uh, setup. I mean, it still requires some expense, but to allow... Um, that that spring uh, we controlled into summer we control program uh, to just work better. It's a pretty minimal cost that really allows some help with overall we control uh, compared to trying to to control all of it in the spring and then into the growing crop. So it's uh, the planning is it's um, uh, pre-planning money well spent to allow that that whole we control program to just be better overall and less expensive overall. That's Betsy Bauer with Series Solutions joining me on the Hat Soil Health Podcast presented by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative. Also here, Mike Brocksmith, Knox County Farmer and Associate Supervisor for the Knox County Soil and Water Conservation District. And Betsy, let's talk a little bit before you even start to seed your cover crops. What are some things you need to do? Mike has a pretty good uh, uh, crop protection program, so he doesn't really have many weeds in the fall, but there will... There will be others that will want to do some scouting before they even seed cover crops. And I know it's another investment in, in some, some weed control, but there will be fields that will have pretty uh, decent weed pressure even going into cover crops. So if you've got weed pressure before you plant cover crops, those weeds are certainly more competitive to the cover crop coming up. Cover crops can, tim- can typically come up, but that would be another thing that I might stress is just understand what you've got even as you see that cover crop to help that cover crop be more successful overall with its competition uh, with fall emerged weeds. There, there might be a play in some fields to, to put on some, some burn down before you seed the cover crops if you've got a lot of henbit mares or even emerged mares tail um, chickweed, some of those, if there's a mat out there, that's going to be competitive to that uh, um, uh, seeded cover crop. Yes, I completely agree with Betsy uh, that we see green stuff already coming up in the fields. And again, that can be a very low cost application too with 
with some glyphosate and a few other things. Not an expensive trip at all to control things in advance and give your cover crops a much better chance. Betsy, I've heard of research that says controlling the chickweed and henbit might also help on soybean system nematode over time. Would that be true? That would be true. I mean, it's been well documented that both of those weeds can be green bridges or that we can get one more um, um a generation of soybean cyst nematode because they're a, they go to sleep last in the fall and wake up first thing in the spring. That soybean cyst nematodes are known to build populations on those weeds. So certainly, controlling those weeds um, with opportunities that we have with um, fall weed control um, certainly will be helpful to overall managing that pest. And part of managing that pest also helps us manage the sudden death syndrome disease that we can see. There's there's some affiliation there. So um, controlling some of those winter annual wheat species can allow us to control some of our more uh, pernicious problems in soybeans beneath the soil with soybean cyst nematodes as well as reducing that that uh, sudden death syndrome. And we certainly saw that in your in your cover crops plots just a few years ago, didn't we? With the use of cover yes, crops, did. with the use cereal rye, we saw less incidence of sudden death syndrome and uh, overall improved weed control. So, um, you know, some of that was the effect of the cover crop. Uh, I'm not sure what we did for weed control, but that's, you know, just some of those other things that cover crops can play into not only improving soil health, but helping with some of our pernicious pests. Again, thank you both for joining me on today's podcast. It sounds like uh, the two of you especially have a great relationship in talking about these things, and that's really the type of relationship that a farmer should have with their CCA. Is that right, Betsy? Oh, that's that's certainly our goal. I mean, if you can't cuss and discuss and, and go through everything uh, on a farm and, and consider all sorts of options that, that uh, fit into a, a, a customer's um, uh, talents or the way that they manage. I mean, that's that's the whole goal about some of this stuff is is working at it together to become successful overall on that operation and not being afraid to to question either one. You know, to have the the customer question us, we question them, and thinking through all of these fairly detailed um, uh, problems that we have every year on the farm. Yes, I agree with Betsy. Uh, one of the benefits we've had of being involved with with uh, CCSI and soil conservation is we've gotten experts like Betsy on our farm and it's been a real benefit to us. And, uh, and every time she comes, we have questions for her. We learn something. Hopefully she learns a few things too. And, uh, and then we try to share with our neighbors. So we've been really blessed to have a relationship with Ceres and, and Betsy and several other folks, and we are very appreciative. And and I feel pretty lucky to have my relationship with Mike. Yes, every every time I arrive on the farm, he's usually got two or three questions he's been thinking about that sort of come out within <laughs> sentence one or two, which is fun. But on the other hand, then that allows us some of the things I've learned on Mike's farm, I can use on other farms, not necessarily, you know, noting um, Mike by name, but his experiences and his successes helps me allow other customers with in maybe earlier on in their journey of soil health be more successful because we've learned this then we can we can use it on other farms and that's been been super beneficial too well thank you again so much for joining us on the hat soil health podcast and uh, mike a very safe harvest season to you 
Best of luck. And, Betsy, again, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your knowledge about cover crops and uh, fending off those weeds. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. Yes, thank you so much, Eric. And that concludes this edition of the Hat Soil Health Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and listening and, most importantly, sharing with your friends and family and other farmers you know so that we can all learn a little bit more about how to improve soil health on Indiana cropland. You can find out about events put on by the Indiana Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative by visiting them online at ccsin.org and finding them also at hoosieragtoday.com. I'm Eric Pfeiffer. This has been the Hat Soil Health Podcast, a presentation of Hoosier Ag Today, Indiana's leading farm network.